Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer and set of offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models in dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. Hello? Hey everybody, where are you?
Hey, Charles. Hello there. How are you? Just good. Glad you're back. I'm glad I'm back too. That's good. That's good. Now I can see you. <laughs> there you go. That's good. I'm going to go get a cup of coffee. I'll be right back. Okay. No one else is here, huh? Not yet. I don't know if Tony's gotten back from uh, Lake Tahoe yet or not. Oh, is that where he was? Yeah. Oh. His, well, yesterday was his uh, 65th uh, birthday. Oh, yeah, that's right. I meant to tell him happy birthday. So he was going to Lake Tahoe? Yeah, and he was up He was up there uh, with, uh, I keep forgetting her name, was his girlfriend uh, that's in the class also. Oh, do so? It was my uh, wife and I's uh, Anniversary, so we're we've been married eight years now. So congratulations, good too. That is very good. Do you know what uh, page we're on? No. <laughs> okay. No. Let me go see if he uh, emailed anybody. Let's see. We read. We read another one of the cameos. Oh, okay. And uh, so, are we still on the correction of fear? I'm not sure. <laughs> Let me see. Um, Maybe we're on page 95. No, I don't think we did that part. Well, really, I don't know. Yeah, I think we did. We might be uh, on either 91 or 95, the real power of the mind.
<clears throat> Somebody's coming in. Hey, is that the birthday boy? <laughs> he does, no sound. No sound, Tony. I think he knows. Yay. Hello. Hey, Hello, there. Tony. <laughs> Happy birthday. Okay, Deuce Althea just dropped me off. She's going to have to go to her house, so it'll be another 10 minutes or so before she can uh, join okay. us. But we're here. We just came from South Lake Tahoe. So we well, you should have stayed up there. It's beautiful. <laughs> and there was a huge amount of traffic on the Bay Bridge. So we got caught in a traffic jam, but we made it. I'm here. Only it. a couple minutes late. Very good. Hold on a second. Let me did turn the audio up. Where have I been? No, did you have a nice time? Oh, yeah, we had a great time. It was... Uh, it was beautiful up there, and uh, we had a really gorgeous room, and it was really more of a, just a relaxing time, but it yeah. was lovely. Yeah. And uh, we had a good, yeah, we had a great time. Nice. So, Tony, I sent you a birthday wish, but you didn't send Pat and I an anniversary wish. Oh, I forgot. That's right. Your anniversary is my birthday. That's yes. right. How many years now? Eight years. Oh, wow. Happy anniversary, Eight, eight years of happiness. Eight years of happiness. Ah, oh, what a sweet thing to say. How are you feeling? Are you all better now? Uh, I'm all better. I, I, the doctor thinks she may have a clue, but is not certain. I've, I, you know, last week I um, woke up at 6 o'clock in the morning last Thursday with severe shakes. I couldn't get enough coffee and blankets on me to warm up. I was at uh, 71 uh, degrees, I mean, 91 degrees. And within an hour and a half, I was up to 102.6. Pat um, was able to get me into the doctor, uh, uh, you know, a doctor, not a regular doctor, that afternoon, took a whole bunch of uh, tests on me. Um, by the time I saw the doctor, my uh, temperature was back to 98. That's how it is. <laughs> so, uh, uh, <laughs> so I took a bunch of tests. I had I had to go back on Friday for even more tests, uh, and then we saw my regular doctor on uh, Monday. And uh, what she's narrowing in on, which is something we haven't really talked about before, and so since we've talked about everything else, is she's thinking that I may have uh, an abscess that has uh, pus or something inside of it. And every now and then, the walls of the abscess break open, and this poisonous junk get into, gets into my body. So she's going to monitor it uh, mm. for a while and see if, uh, if something happens. So, where where might this abscess be? Well, uh, unfortunately, it may be on my butt. Oh. <laughs> Oh, okay. <laughs> because I still, you know, I'm still um, experiencing, uh, uh, because I sit so much, uh, because my legs aren't that strong, I'm uh, 
still experiencing some remnants of bed sores, although it's a, a lot, lot better. But there's still some remnants of it there, and so it's a possibility that that's where the abscess is. Yeah. Okay. Well, we're glad you're back. We're glad you're better. I'm trying to fix my lighting here. Hold on. But if you guys want, I'll pull my pants down and show you my butt. <laughs> um, only if you really want to show it to us, Charles. <laughs> if that's what you really wanted to do, I'd be happy to. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it's not a request. Oh, okay, good. <laughs> uh, yes, my uh, my poor wife has. has uh, she can probably uh, visualize my butt with her eyes closed because she's uh, putting uh, various lotions and, and things on it uh, a couple of times a day to, because the skin dries out quite a bit. Um, yeah. um, Hey, Charles was asking where we are, and I couldn't remember. I thought maybe we were either on 91 or 95. I, okay, Pastor, I think we just finished reading Chapter 2, Section 9. Yeah, so now we're on 10. I think that so we would be starting on 10, and we read another cameo mm -hmm. last week. We read cameo 4, I believe. Let me see. So, Tony, are, are we it? We are uh, it. With Dusalthea. Yeah. Uh, but but um, she just dropped me off, and it would take her another 10 minutes to get home, and then she's got to bring her stuff up. So I would say, uh, you know, about 15 minutes or so she'll join us. So minutes. I noticed you put out another thing for a way of uh, mastery, but I don't believe you gave a day for it. Okay. Yeah, I made a mistake. It was it's Wednesday. Wednesday at um, five thirty p.m. Okay, Wednesday at five thirty. Okay, five thirty to seven thirty. Julie Vance is uh, teaching it. She's okay. one of our uh, ACIM two people. She's been studying it for a couple of years, so she's she's pretty versed with it. Let me get a sheet of paper here. Well, the other Way of Mastery group that I've been in with uh, Judy, they've decided to do that again, starting in September, uh, again from the you know on Tuesdays from five to seven. So I guess I'll, I guess I'll stay in that because Wednesday nights I, I typically have uh, classes at church um, that that meet you know several or several weeks out of the out of each month. So I'm gonna. Try and keep the Wednesdays open and do Judy's class instead. Yeah. Deb, what's new with you? How's retirement going? How's uh, your, your project with your mom going? <laughs> uh, she's kind of feisty. It's pretty good. Um, <laughs> let's see. Um, yeah, things are good. We're, we are traveling back and forth between up north and my house for various reasons, but we're headed up north again tomorrow early in the morning. Okay, when you mean up north, where is it that you go? Okay, if you come from Michigan, everybody does this. We take the hand and, and we point. So I'm right now, I'm right about, right about there. Okay, and we go up here. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. You know, have you heard of Traverse City? 
I've heard of it. You've heard of it? Well, so where it, when you go, when you get to up north, it's um, really a, a vacation sort of wonderland. The, there's bays and, and little villages that look like what you've seen in Maine, little fishing villages and um, sort of exclusive country club type, you know, resort places. And but we're sort of up in that area, but on a private lake. Oh. Nice. Nice. Okay, very good. Okay, well, it was really nice for me uh, just to get away for a couple of days. Yeah. Um, I, I, I didn't really, I mean, it was just relaxing. I was, we had such a lovely room for the view and uh, big. We, get, we, took a, we took an upgrade. The way they work it is you could, um, when, you, when you register for a room, you sign up for if there is an upgrade available at the time, you can upgrade for just an extra $14 onto the room. So, I mean, to upgrade to like the top floor with this panoramic view for an extra $14 was a no-brainer. It was wonderful. Yeah, I, I never, we never wanted to leave the room. Yeah, that was wonderful, <laughs> really nice. It was just so lovely, but we did take a little stroll around uh, Lake Tahoe and went to the lake, and um, they recommended a little restaurant right near the lake that we ate at, and ate at a couple of restaurants um, there at the casino. I'm not a gambler, so I don't, I don't gamble. There weren't any shows happening, mm -hmm. um, but it was just, just lovely just being there. And uh, and do selfie don't get to and I don't get to spend much of that kind of time together. So it was right, great. that's nice, really nice, nice. Yeah, way. yeah. So uh, do you feel any different mentally? Yeah, <laughs> uh, it it has been a uh, I don't know, it's not a challenge. I mean, yeah, I mean, there's a mental thing going. I don't feel different, but I I I would say that I'm. I'm just asking for guidance um, about what it means for me to be 65 and uh, to just have hit that milestone, what that, what that means and, and, and sort of my approach to it, you know, what Holy Spirit wants me to think in terms of, uh, of hitting 65. Mm -hmm. I spoke about it in my, uh, I, in listened my to it. I spoke about it in my lecture. You listened to it? Yeah. Okay. So it's fun, 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 Tony. That's what it means. Fun. <laughs> fun, fun. <laughs> okay. Well, you know what my mom said this year? Wow. She said, I just love being 90. And she's all excited about it. And my neighbor down the street told, I think I told you this, maybe or told someone that we have birthday party for her, And she told the accumulated masses that the nineties were the best decade yet. So wow, that's that's a great statement to be able to make. There you go. Yeah. She said the best. Wow. So you know. <laughs> it can yeah, I have a friend who's eighty nine. She's in better shape than I am. I just—it's amazing. <laughs> yeah. We sat in the hot tub. They had a really nice hot tub there. Did that for a while. It was great. Okay, so we are reading. Um, Page 91, chapter 2, section 10. Um, 
I'll just read, you know, basically we read about, uh, hold, hold on, let's make sure this isn't do Althea. No, okay. Uh, we read about a page each, so I'll start and remember to, we're reading the footnotes as they come along. Okay. Okay, the real power of the mind. Everyone experience. You want to have an opening prayer? Oh, that's a good idea, Reverend Charles. Okay, so let's just bring our attention and our awareness within. Okay, Holy Spirit, thank you. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for getting me here for a while there. <laughs> Stuck on the Bay Bridge. I didn't know if I was going to make it. Um, I'm just grateful to be here. Uh, yeah, actually, what a great thing to do, to come back from a trip and just jump right into a class, reading and studying A Course of Miracles with like-minded people um, who love each other and have made this commitment to read and study and talk with each other every week. So just grateful to be here and some light and love to do Althea so that she can get home and park and bring her stuff up and her computer out and join us as soon as possible. We're here ready to tune into your voice and listen to your guidance and to heal. And it's a healing that we share with all our sisters and brothers everywhere. Amen. 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 Okay. The real power of the mind. Everyone experiences fear. Nobody enjoys it. Yet it would take very little right thinking to know why it occurs. Very few people appreciate the real power of the mind. And nobody remains fully aware of it all the time. This is inevitable in this world because the human being has many things he must do cannot engage in constant thought watching however if he hopes to spare himself from fear there are some things he must realize and realize fully at least some of the time hold on a second i want to highlight something here Okay, the mind is a very powerful agent. It never loses its creative force. It never sleeps. Every instant it is making or creating, and always as you will. Many of your ordinary expressions reflect this. For example, when you say, don't give it a thought, you are implying that if you do not think about something, it will have no effect on you. This is true enough. On the other hand, many other expressions are clear expressions of the prevailing lack of awareness of thought power. For example, you say, just an idle thought, and mean that the thought has no effect. You also speak of some actions as thoughtless, implying that if the person had thought, he would not have behaved as he did. You also use phrases like thought-provoking, which is bland enough, but the term a provoking thought means something quite different. 116. In the case of thought-provoking, something outside has provoked, in the bland sense of sparked, the thought. 
In the case of a provoking thought, however, the thought is now the cause, not the effect. And it provokes in the sense of inciting retaliation by arousing anger. The issue then is whether the thought is mere effect or whether it is a provoking cause. While expressions like think big give some recognition to the power of thought, they still come nowhere near the truth. You do not expect to grow when you say it because you really don't believe it. It is hard to recognize the thought and belief combined into a power surge that can literally move mountains. Uh, that's uh, footnote 117, Matthew. For truly I say to you, if you have faith as a grain of mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible to you. It appears at first glance that to believe such power about yourself is merely arrogant, but that is not the real reason why you don't believe it. People prefer to believe that their thought cannot exert real control because they are literally afraid of them. Okay, uh, Charles, why don't you read... Uh, you can just read up through, um, you can go ahead and read paragraph eight, which completes on the next, the next page. Mm -hmm. Therapists try to help people who are afraid of their own death wishes by deprecating the value of the wish. They even attempt to free the patient by persuading him that he can think whatever he wants with any real effect at all. This is a real dilemma here. There is a real dilemma here, which only the truly right-minded can escape. Death wishes do not kill in the physical sense, but they do kill spirituality. That's 118. Later, the Course will teach you that our physical death is the result of unconscious death wishes stemming from our guilt. When this sentence says that death wishes kill spiritually, this must mean that they kill our awareness of our spirit. So, all destructive thought is dangerous. Given a death wish, a person has no choice except to uh, <coughs> act upon his thought or behave contrary to it. He can thus choose only between homicide and fear. See previous, previous notes on will conflicts, number 119. <clears throat> Secondary meaning of death wish is a desire for the death of another person toward whom one, one harbors unconscious hostility the phrase previous notes will phrase previous notes on will conflicts refers to the previous section, particularly paragraph six eleven. This reference shows that fear of one's destructive wishes, which is what is being discussed above, is the same fear discussed in the previous section. Let's see, that was one I keep. <coughs> Another possibility is that he appreciates the value of his thought. This is the usual psychoanalytic approach, 120, a Freudian. Um, this does not allay guilt, but that the cost of rendering thinking impotent. If you believe that what you think is ineffectual, you may cease to be overly afraid of it. 
but you are hardly likely to respect it either. The world is full of endless examples of how people have depreciated uh, themselves because they are afraid of their own thoughts. In, the, in some forms of insanity, thoughts are glorified, but this is only because the underlying depreciation was too effective for tolerance. 121. In these forms of insanity, in other words, a person will ascribe a grand significance to his thoughts, but only as a cover to compensate for an underlying depreciation of thought, a depreciation so effective that it finds it intolerable. The truth is that there are no idle thoughts. All thinking produces form at some level. The reason why people are afraid of ESP and so often react against it is because they know that thoughts can hurt them. Their own thoughts have made them vulnerable. 122. Because our own thoughts have made us vulnerable, we now believe in the hurtful power of thoughts and fear become being hurt by the thoughts of others. You who complain about fear still persist in producing it most of the time. I told you in the last section that you cannot ask me to release you from it because I know it does not exist. 123. The correction of fear is your responsibility. When you ask for release from fear, you imply that it isn't. You don't. It if it's merely intervening between your thoughts and their results, if I merely intervene between your thoughts and their results, I would be tampering with the basic law of cause and effect. In fact, the most fundamental one that there is in the world. I would hardly help you if I depreciated the value of your own thinking. That would be in direct opposition to the purpose of this course. Okay, great. Thank you. Uh, okay, and Deb, you can finish it up. It is certainly much more useful for me to remind you that you do not guard your thoughts at all carefully, except for a relatively small part of the day and somewhat inconsistently even then. You may feel at this point that it would take a miracle to enable you to do this, which is perfectly true. Human beings are not used to miraculous thinking, but they can be trained to think that way. All miracle workers have to be trained that way. I have to be able to count on them. This means that I cannot allow them to leave their minds unguarded or they will not be able to help me. Miracle working entails a full realization of the power of thought and real avoidance of miscreation. Otherwise, the miracle would be necessary merely to set the mind itself straight, a circular process which would hardly foster the time collapse for which the miracle was intended, nor would it induce the healthy respect which every miracle worker must have for true cause and effect. As the context makes clear, this passage is speaking of a miracle setting the mind of the miracle worker straight without his consent. Such clearly would not foster a healthy respect for the fact that his own freely chosen thoughts are cause and his emotions are effect. Miracles cannot free the miracle worker from fear, 125. In other words, it is up to the miracle worker to elect different thoughts, to elect the miracle. The miracle cannot just barge in, override his thoughts, and remove his fear. That would take away his freedom. He must voluntarily elect the miracle and reject the fear himself. Both miracles and fear come from his thoughts, and if he were not free to choose one, he would also not be free to choose the other. 
Remember, we said before that when, e when electing one person, you reject another. 126. Voting always entails both election and rejection. It is much the same in electing the miracle. By so doing, you have rejected fear. Fear cannot fail unless it has been elected. You have been afraid of God, of me, of yourself, and of practically everyone you know at one time or another. This can only be because you have miscreated all of us and believe in what you made. <coughs> you would never have done this if you had not been afraid of your own thoughts. 127. We believe our thoughts have hurt us and made us vulnerable. We then project what our thoughts have done to us onto God, Jesus, and others, making them appear to be the destructive agents to which we are vulnerable. The vulnerable are essentially miscreators because they misperceive creation. <clears throat> okay. Good. Let's uh, <coughs> spend some time talking about this section. Anybody got something they'd like to share? Yeah, you know, um, when he talks about I have to be able to count on miracle workers, I cannot allow them to leave their minds unguarded. Um, what paragraph are you on? I'm on page 94, paragraph 10. Okay. And <clears throat> what I was thinking about today is I read another article about um, a book that talks about uh, instead of setting goals, setting systems, up because when you set a goal you either have made it or you haven't most of the time you haven't made it but when you set a system which is a systematic way of doing something all the time you then are always meeting your so-called goal of meeting your system so you're always successful because you're always doing your system and it occurs to me that you know a lot of this a lot of the course is about discipline and about he actually talks about we should set aside study time, we should set aside this, we should do that. And he's really talking about setting up a systematic way of retraining our mind to think, of creating habits. So that's what I think about when I see that, that, that it, it really requires a, a habitual practice in a systematic way. Okay. Uh, this is Charles. Uh, I had an experience uh, of this and the power of my mind over, I guess, my peace, certainly. I and then, uh, said some time ago that um, I loaned this person mm -hmm. uh, $800, and uh, <clears throat> it went a whole uh, month with her not uh, paying me anything on it. In fact, it went let's see, a month and a half um, without her paying anything on it. And, of course, I was of uh, pure mind, and so it didn't bother me a bit. Ha, ha, ha. <laughs> <laughs> and so if you look at my checking account, you, you would say that I was short $800. Well, finally, at the beginning of this month, uh, a month late, she contacted me. I did not contact her. She contacted me and said she would like to pay um, the money 
back to me, but in two installments, one four, two four hundred dollar checks. So I have deposited one of the four hundred dollar checks, and I will be depositing the other four hundred dollar check in another week. So if you look at my checking account based on those facts alone, you would say I'm only four hundred dollars shy. But in the interim, I um, totally unexpectedly, I received a one check for $900 and another check for $400. So you would actually say, that if you look at my checking account, I actually have more money in my checking account than I had before this thing all started and I had all this fear going on. <laughs> so I just, I, I just didn't have been laughing at myself and laughing at myself for doing this crazy stuff that I do, that I create it with my mind, and it's not necessary to do that at all. Well, I'm glad, uh, I'm glad you're getting <clears throat> your money back. I know it's just a worldly thing, and, but um, I mean, I, I appreciate your share, and I'm, I'm just glad. Me too, me too. Yeah. Uh, hello, Dusalthea. Hello, Tony. Hello, everybody. Hello, everybody. Nice you made it home. I did. You found the link. I found it. You got your computer set up. Yeah. <laughs> you look. You look rested, even though you had to rush back. <laughs> yeah. No, we had a great trip. That's great. Really. Yeah. Uh, dear Southia, we just read uh, oh. chapter two, section ten, which is on page in between pages ninety-one to ninety-five. Nice so we just finished reading section ten. We're just talking about it now. Yeah. Okay. We're just talking. We're talking. Keep talking. <laughs> I, there was a line here that I wasn't familiar with. It was in the very first paragraph, but it's at the top of uh, 92. Mm -hmm. It says, uh, this is inevitable in this world because the human being, stick <laughs> to that expression, the human being has many things he must do and cannot engage in constant thought watching. Um, I don't know, I just, I, you know, I, I, I'm not familiar with that line. If it does exist in the other books, it's been changed enough so that it's not uh, uh, easily recognizable. I don't remember Jesus ever referring to humankind as the human being. <laughs> but it also, it's also just a gentle way of saying, of, of Jesus sort of acknowledging our human condition which is that, you know, we've got these things that we're thinking about, these things that we feel we must do, and we don't have the time or the energy or the ability to be engaged in constant thought watching. So he's going to just give us a few things to focus our attention on. So um, I just like, like Jesus uh, being aware of what our process is and not really giving us something that's um, really not doable. I mean, if, if we really had to, at least at this stage of the game, be constantly monitoring all of our thoughts, I mean, the truth is we won't do it. We, we can't really. 
I'm uh, I'm trying to find this. There's a really interesting passage um, in the Urtext. Uh, so I don't know if you're interested. I can. Um, sure, go ahead. Well, so it starts out the same. Everyone experiences fear, and nobody enjoys it. Then he says, neither you nor B, Bill, have thought about it very much either. And then she says, I object at this point to the use of plural verb with a properly singular subject. <laughs> and remember, that last time in a very similar sentence, he said it correctly, and I remembered it with real pleasure. This real grammatical error makes me suspicious of the genuineness of these notes. Answer, what it really shows is that you are not very receptive. The reason it came out that way is because you are projecting in the inappropriate way your own anger, which has nothing to do with these notes. You made the error because you are not feeling loving, so you want me to sound silly, so you won't have to pay attention. Actually, I'm trying to get through against considerable opposition because you are not very happy, and I wish you were. I thought I'd take a chance, even though you are so resistant, because I might be able to make you feel better. You may, not, you may be unable not to attack at all, but do try to listen a little, too. And then it does say, um, very few people appreciate the real power of the mind. Nobody remains fully aware of it all the time. This is inevitable in this world because the human being has many things he must do and cannot engage in constant thought watching. So, okay. But... <laughs> There's a personal aside to Helen there that he. Uh, yeah, it's interesting because even even this is like a hundred pages in, and she's still questioning whether or not this is a real. You know, if this is genuine. Right. If she's being told is genuine in some way. And I've always liked the uh, the passage in four where it says it is hard to recognize the thought and belief combine into a power surge, which can literally move mountains. Mm -hmm. Thought and belief. So if you bring your thoughts in line with the beliefs, Right. And, well, also, I mean, it's just thinking the thought, if you really don't believe it, isn't going to do much. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's the reason why a lot of affirmations don't work, <laughs> because people don't really believe it. So they just like this repeating it. I mean, it's probably a start. Maybe it moves them toward belief. At least it makes the thought familiar. Um, anyway, I just, I've always liked that. Mm -hmm. Anything else here on this section before we read on? Uh, Dusel, Thea, I would probably have you reading on, but you uh, walked out of our frame now. Are you still around? Yeah, I am. Just, uh, just give me a minute. Right. Okay. Well, you can go ahead and start reading. I'll, I'll well, you're, you're, you would be up to read. We've all read once. Oh, okay. I've even read twice. Oh. oh, no, we all read once. That's what we all read once. Okay. 
Okay, where where am I? Okay, so it's um, page 95, the basic conflict. Uh, the yeah, basic go ahead. Just, yeah, read, read those first three paragraphs there. Okay. You're willing to accept primarily what does not change your mind too much and leaves you free to leave it quite unguarded most of the time. You persist in believing that when you do not consciously watch your mind, it is unmindful. It is time to consider the whole world of the unconscious or unwatched mind. This will frighten you because it is the source of fright. You may look at it as a new theory of basic conflict, if you wish, which will not be entirely an intellectual approach, because I doubt if the truth will escape you entirely. The unwatched mind is responsible for the whole content. There's a footnote there. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, one, one twenty-eight. And by the way, you're sitting so far away from the the mic. Yeah, can you sit a little closer to the microphone? Hard to hear you. Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. Is that better? Much yeah. better. Thank you. Sorry. The basic conflict is a term emphasized by neo Freudian Karen Horney, who saw it as the conflict between the opposed strat strategies of moving towards compliance, moving against aggression, and moving away from detachment. The basic conflict in Freudian thought, at least as identified by comments later in this section, is between the hedonistic id and the moralistic superego, a conflict mediated by the Freudian ego. The final part of this sentence is using intellectual approach to describe something you regard as, as abstractly true without considering that it may be personally true of you. The unwatched two, the unmatched, the unwatched mind is responsible for the whole content of the unconscious, which lies above the miracle level. All psychoanalytic. Okay, there's another there's another footnote there. One twenty nine. Okay, sorry. The unwatched mind then is not responsible for the content of the miracle level of the unconscious, but only that which is above the miracle level. All psychoanalytic theorists have made some contribution to the truth in this connection, but none of them has seen it in its true entirety. Jung's best contribution was awareness of individual versus collective unconscious levels. He also recognized the major place of the religious spirit in his schema. His archetypes were also meaningful concepts, but his major error lay in regarding the deepest level of the unconscious as shared in terms of content. This is a reference to Jung's archetype, which he viewed as the content of the collective unconscious, rejecting the tabula Rasas or blank slate theory of the met of the of the mind archetype 
are psychic dispositions, patterns, ideas, or images that are present in everyone. From these templates, the basic themes of human life emerge. Examples of archetypes would be birth, death, mother, father, God, hero, trickster. Okay, great. Thank you. Okay, let me see how long this this section is. Okay, it's kind of a longer one. All right. Okay, I'll read on. Uh, The deepest level of the unconscious is shared as an ability. Footnote 131. In other words, the collective unconscious is not filled with particular ideas and images, archetypes, but with raw, unformed, miracle-working ability or miracle-mindedness. Okay? As miracle-mindedness, the content or the particular miracles which an individual happens to form does not matter at all. They will, in fact, be entirely different since I direct them because I make a point of avoiding redundancy. Unless a miracle actually heals, it is not a miracle at all. 132. The implication is that if miracles were redundant, if they kept occurring in the same forms, they would lose their psychological impact and thus their ability to heal. Okay. The content of the miracle level is not recorded in the individual's unconscious because if it were, the miracle would not be automatic or involuntary, which we have said repeatedly that it should be. Footnote 133. See footnote 105 for references to the miracle being involuntary. The notion that specific miracles particular expressions of love to brothers in need being stored in the individual's unconscious would compromise the automatic or involuntary nature of miracles seems to mean that those old miracles would tend to pattern new miracles after themselves rather than allowing the new ones to be inspired involuntarily. Hmm, I'll have to read that again. Okay, however, the content is a matter for the record, which is not within the individual himself. All psychoanalysts made one common error in that they attempted to uncover unconscious content. You cannot understand unconscious activity in these terms because content is applicable only to the more superficial unconscious levels to which the individual himself contributes. This is the level at which he can readily introduce fear and usually does. Freud was right in calling this level pre-conscious and emphasizing that there is a fairly easy interchange between pre-conscious and conscious material. Footnote 134, Freud's pre-conscious includes thoughts that aren't conscious at a given time, but aren't repressed, and so can be called into consciousness. 
Jesus here seems to be possibly extending the pre-conscious to include the entirety of the Freudian unconscious. Okay, uh, he was also right in regarding the censor as an agent for the protection of consciousness from fear, but note 135. In Freudian thought, the censor, in order to protect the ego, blocks unconscious wishes from consciousness during the day and during the night transforms these wishes into disguised forms that appear in dreams. His major error lay in his insistence that the preconscious is necessary at all in the psychic structure. If the psyche contains fearful levels from which it cannot escape without splitting, its integration is permanently threatened. It is essential not to control the fearful, but to eliminate it. Okay. Okay, so uh, let's see, Charles, you want to uh, read seven and eight in this page and the appropriate footnotes? Seems like there's quite a few of them. Okay. Here, Rank's concept of the will was particularly good. I guess Rank, was that a person? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, he, yeah they're going to, um, the footnote that you're going to come to is going to say who he is. Here, Rank's concept of the will was particularly good, except that he preferred to ally it only with humanity's own truly creative ability, but did not extend to its proper union with God's. 136. Otto Rank was one of Freud's closest colleagues until their break in 1926. Rank was the only psychoanalyst who emphasized the centrality of will in human psychology. In Rank's system, we're not merely determined by unconscious and biological forces, but determine ourselves through our will. He thus emphasized the importance of choice and moral responsibility, the role of the will with an artistic creation, and the function of the will with creating one's individual self as individuated from parental influence. He also emphasizes will conflict, a term that Jesus has just used, such as the conflict between the will to separate the will to unite. Okay, his birth drama, another valid idea, was also too limited in that it did not refer to the separation, which was really a false idea of birth. <coughs> 137. In the trauma of birth, 1924, Rank put forward the idea that the shock of separation from the mother at birth is the basis of all anxiety and neurosis. Physical birth is not a drama in itself. It can, however, remind the individual of the separation, which was a very real cause of fear. The idea of will therapy was potentially a, a very powerful one. <clears throat> 138. Rank's will therapy, originally published as two works in 1929 and 31, published in English as will therapy in 1936, emphasized choice, responsibility, and action. He said, thus, my concept allows for operation of the patient's own will as the most constructive force in the therapist's process. He taught that neurosis due to poor will organization and that patients can redeem their authentic will through analysis in a process 
of self-creation. But Rank did not see its potential because he himself used his mind partially to create a theory of the mind, but also partially to attack Freud. His reactions to Freud stemmed from his own unfortunate acceptance of the deprivation fallacy, which itself rose from the separation. This led him to believe that his own mind's creation could stand only if the creation of another's fell. In consequence, his theory emphasized rather than minimized the two-edged nature of defense. This is an outstanding characteristic of his concepts because it was outstandingly true of him. He also misinterpreted the birth trauma in a way that made it inevitable for him to accept a therapy whose goal was to abolish fear. 139. The reason Rank is criticized here for the therapeutic goal of abolishing fear may be that, as the next paragraph implies, Fear can only be abolished by undoing the, the miscreation that caused it. Until then, the presence of fear has therapeutic value as an indication of its underlying cause. Okay. Um, let's see. Where was I? Uh, you got a couple more sentences there. Yeah, I, I know where, but... Oh, okay. This characteristic of all later therapists who do not attempt, as Freud did in his own form of therapy, to split off the fear. Okay, that's it. Okay, uh, Deb, go ahead and read, um, uh, re re go ahead and read all of 13 and whatever. Okay. No one as yet has fully recognized either the therapeutic value of fear or the only way in which it can be truly ended. When you miscreate, you are in pain. The cause and effect principle here is temporarily a real expediter. Actually, cause is a term properly belonging to God. An effect, which should also be capitalized, is his sonship. This entails a set of cause and effect relationships which are totally different from those which humanity introduced into the situation. The fundamental opponents in the real basic conflict are creation and miscreation. All fear is implicit in the second, just as all love is inherent in the first. Because of this difference, the basic conflict is one between love and fear. So much then for the true nature of the major opponents in the basic conflict, since all such theories lead to a form of therapy in which redistribution of psychic energy results, it's necessary to consider our concept of psychic energy next. In Freud's thought, psychic energy, also called libido, is the primal energy that powers the psyche. This energy takes the form of various drives that naturally move toward satisfaction and release. In this respect, Freud was more accurate than his followers, who were essentially more wishful. Energy can emanate from both creation and miscreation, and the particular ratio between them, which prevails at a given point in time, does determine the behavior at that time. If miscreation did not engender energy in its own right, it would be unable to produce destructive behavior, which it very patently does. Everything you make has energy, because, like the creations of God, it comes from energy and is endowed by its maker with the power to make. 
miscreation is still a genuine creative act in terms of the underlying impulse, but not in terms of the content of what is made. Deprive what is made of its own creative power. It does, however, guarantee that the power will be misused or used fearfully. Deny this is merely the previously mentioned fallacy of depreciation, 141. The fallacy of depreciation is the idea that destructive thoughts do not matter as long as you don't act them out. Although Freud made a number of fallacies of his own, he did avoid this one in connection with psychic energy. The the concept, not by attempting to heal it, but by reinterpreting it instead of redistributing it. 142, pronoun clarification, not by attempting to heal it, the split, but by interpreting the split instead of redistributing the energy. This placed them in the illogical position of assuming that the split, which their therapies were intended to heal, had not occurred. The result of this approach is essentially a form of hypnosis. The implication seems to be that patients are essentially hypnotized into believing that the basic conflict in them does not exist, though it really does. This is quite different from Freud's approach, which merely ended in a deadlock. 144, deadlock between the two opponents, later identified as the id and the superego. Freud believed that the best that can be achieved in a human being is a well-adjusted <laughs> Okay, uh, we might as well finish this section up. Okay, so do stuff there. You want to read uh, uh, read 14 through 17 and the um, whatever footnotes come up. A similar deadlock occurs when both the power of creation and of miscreation coexist. This is experienced as conflict only because the individual feels as if both were occurring at the same level. He believes in what he has miscreated in his own unconscious, and he naturally believes that it will because he, ha he has made it. He thus places himself in a position where the fearful becomes real. Nothing but level confusion can result as long as the belief is held in any form. 15. Inappropriate denial and equally inappropriate identification of the real factors in the basic conflict will not solve the problem itself. Conflict cannot disappear until it is fully recognized that creation is not real and therefore there is no conflict. This entails a full realization of the, of the basic fact that although you have miscreated in a very genuine sense, you neither continue to do so nor to suffer from your errors in this respect. 16. As redistribution of energy is not the solution, both the idea that both kinds must exist, and the belief that one kind is memorable for use or misuse of real discrimination. The only way out is to stop miscreating now and accept the atonement for miscreations of the past. Only this can 
we establish true single mindedness. Um, footnote 145. Uh, the psychic unity. The structure of the psychic follows along the lines of the of the particular libido concept the theorist employs. 146. Libido is the psychic energy seen by Freud as primarily sexual, but by other feelings as instinctual energy in general. That, when misdirected or suppressed, results in mental illness. Freud's psychic was essentially a good and evil picture with very heavy weight given to the the evil. This is because every time I mentioned the atonement to him, which was quite often, he responded by defending his theory more and more against it. This resulted carefully because it particularly likely to be misinterpreted until this, this section has been completed. The section on psychic energy is the previous section. It has already been said that you cannot control fear because you yourself made it. You're is she on the wrong page? Yeah. yeah. Oh, uh, did I skip the page? Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, I, I've been trying to, for some reason, I can't mute people tonight, which means I must have logged on as me and not the, Oh. I'm not on my usual computer, because I usually do the computer oh. as the, at the office, so, yeah, okay. and Charles, we're getting a lot of sound, I think it's from you, but I can't mute you like I normally do, or I can't mute anybody, so anyway. Okay, so it was just really when you got up and sat back down, so it's probably fine now. But anyway, go ahead. Uh, yeah, I don't know. So I was dealing with that, and I I lost track of where we were. Okay, so in his, all right, I'm on the page hundred. In his increasingly strong attempts to make the illogical sound more and more logical, I was very sorry about this because this was singularly good mind, and it was a shame to waste it however okay, okay yeah okay and uh i'll just finish it up here uh however the major purpose of his incarnation was not neglected he did succeed in forcing recognition of the unconscious into humanity's calculations about itself a step in the right direction which should not be minimized freud was one of the most religious men I have known recently. Unfortunately, he was so afraid of religion that the only way he could deal with it was to regard it, not himself, as sick. 147. Uh, the Future of an Illusion, 1927. Freud put forth the view that religion is an illusion, a product of wish fulfillment, which arose to give divine authority to societal controls on the destructive passions of the individual and to give us a comforting illusion of control over the uncontrollable forces of nature. Okay. 
Um, this naturally prevented healing. Freud's superego is a particularly interesting example of the real power of miscreation. It is noteworthy throughout the whole development of his theories that the superego never allied itself with freedom. The most it could do in this direction was to work out a painful truce in which both opponents lost. 148. The superego and the id. The superego reaches a truce with the id through the mediations of the ego. This perception could not fail to force him to emphasize discontent in his view of civilization. Footnote 149. In Civilization and Its Discontents, 1930, Freud focused on the inherent friction between the individual's desire to freely express the instincts of sex and aggression, the id, and civilization's need for the individual to repress these same instincts and conform to the group represented by the superego. This friction, which gives rise to perpetual discontent, is the same deadlock Jesus is referring to above in which both opponents lost. Okay, paragraph 20. The Freudian id is really only the more, the more superficial level of the unconscious and not the deepest level at all. Footnote 150. In Freudian theory, the id is the unconscious source of primitive instinctive impulses. In the course, the deepest level of the unconscious is the miracle level. Okay. This, too, was inevitable because Freud could not divorce miracles from magic. It was, therefore, his constant endeavor, even preoccupation, to keep on thrusting more and more material between consciousness and the real deeper level of the unconscious so that the latter became increasingly obscured. The result was a kind of bedlam in which there was no order, no control, and no sense. This was exactly how he felt about it. The later, the latter theoretical, oh no, the later, the later theoretical switch to the primacy of anxiety was an interesting device intended to deny both the instinctive nature of destructiveness and the force of the power of miscreation. Footnote 151. Freud's 1926 work, Inhibition, Symptoms, and Anxiety, represented one of his most significant changes of mind on fundamental issues. It sets forth his new theory of anxiety, in which he argued that anxiety causes repression, not vice versa. By placing the emphasis on the result, the generative, nat the generative nature of the power was minimized. 152. In other words, anxiety is actually the result of the power of miscreation. By emphasizing only the result, Freud inappropriately de-emphasized the power that generates the result. Destructive behavior is instinctual. The instinct for creation is not obliterated in miscreation. That is why it is always invested with reality. One of the chief ways in which you can correct your own magic miracle 
mathematical confusion is to remember that you did not create yourself. 153. The reference to your own magic miracle confusion implies that we, like Freud, have confused miracles with magic. That Freud could not divorce miracles from magic possibly means that he saw miracles as attempts to control the external world through magical means such as prayer and ritual. Our own confusion of miracles and magic probably refers to seeing miracles as psychic feats. Without conviction, they miracles deteriorate into magic. Performed by our own separate will rather than by God's will through us. We solve this by remembering that we did not create ourselves. This restores God's role as our cause so that his will once again works through us. You are apt to forget this when you become egocentric, and this places you in a position where belief in magic is virtually inevitable. Your instincts for creation were given you by your own creator, who is expressing the same instinct in his creation. Since the creative ability rests solely in the mind, everything which you make or create is necessarily instinctive. It also follows that whatever you produce is real in your own eyes, but not necessarily in the sight of God. Phew. <laughs> I learned more about Freud than I ever knew in my life. <laughs> yeah. More than I probably ever wanted to know. Um, it's very interesting, though. I mean, I, I really don't. I mean, I've never studied psychology. I've never studied Freud. I wonder if Robert went ahead and read all these books by Freud in order to be able to make meaningful footnotes here. He probably would. Probably did. Which is probably why it took him 12 years to do this. <laughs> he had to read all those books by whomever. Um, I thought it was, it, you know, Jesus here just talking about his relationship with um, Sigmund Freud was pretty fascinating, and calling him, you know, the, one of the most religious people he knew, um, and, and, and praising him, really, uh, though obviously, according to Jesus here, he got a lot of things wrong, but he, you know, he praised him for at least really implanting in our collective consciousness, this idea of the subconscious, right? Can you say that somewhere? Yeah, he did, he did. Yeah. And that that was really, um, you know, a, a very important contribution. So he, and he talks about how, you know, he, Jesus had, was working with him in paragraph 17. He says, this is because every time I mentioned the atonement to him, which was quite often, he responded by defending his theory more and more against it. So just that Jesus was working with Freud. And he also praised Freud over um, his contemporaries. This, this person, Rank. Did any of you see that movie a couple years ago called A Dangerous Method about uh, Freud? Was that Freud and Jung? I didn't see it. It's really good. It's really good. And, you know, Akira Knightley is really good in that film. Anyway, it's, it's just a really, really good film about Freud and um, 
one of his contemporaries, and now it's been a few years. I don't really think it was Jung. I'm wondering if it was this guy Otto Rank. No, or maybe it was Jung. Anyway, it's it's a very good movie with really good actors. Um, a little disturbing. <laughs> it's Jung and uh, Freud. It's Jung and Freud? Yeah. What did you just look it up under? You're good. The Internet Movie Database? <laughs> <laughs> I just Googled it. You just Google that. What year is it? Uh, it's a, uh, when did the movie come out? 2011. Yeah, it's not that old. Yeah. Well, uh, anybody else something to say about this section? Um, just that it's interesting that the deepest level of the unconscious is shared as an ability. It would be our collective ability. I take that. Also that the uh, content is recorded in the record, but is not recorded in the individual. It doesn't reside, it doesn't take hold in the individual, the content of the miracle. I think mm. it's Where was that statement? I, I remember reading it, but I didn't. On page 96, paragraph 4, right at the top. Well, it says the content of the miracle level, which would mean, I think, at the ability level, it's not recorded in the individual's unconscious, but it is a man record. But it is a court. I'm looking for the word record. I don't see this. I don't see what you're referring to. The very last sentence in paragraph four. However, uh -oh. the content is a okay. record. The content is a matter for the record. Mm It's also interesting that he talks about um, that creative ability and the ability to miscreate does have energy, does, does um, produce, can produce destructive behavior. Everything that you make has energy. Yeah. And that miscreation is still a creative act. Right. In the, in the act, but not the content. So I think it's the content that has no reality, but the energy itself is there. Yeah, I, I was looking at that paragraph too. I thought that was really interesting. Mm -hmm. And you know, it, what's interesting too is, is throughout this, he's saying that, you know, Freud's problem was that he thought that you had to coexist these two, these levels, these various, you know, competing forces. But again, he's saying the same thing that he says over and over, which is kind of a desert is a desert is a desert, and the only thing to do is to leave. So he's saying, you know, you don't, you don't, 
put up with this, you you eliminate it. You don't put up with that conflict level. You eliminate it. Yeah. Well. He rises above it in some way. Mm -hmm. Okay. Okay, why don't we take a break, and then when we come back, we'll read Cameo 5. Okay. Um, which is... Uh, uh, that will be on page 1,713. Because yeah. we read Cameo 4 last week, didn't we? Yep. Yep. I'm, I'm home and I don't, I didn't think to bring my notebook home, which I would have the records, but, um, I remember we read we read four last week. So it's one thousand seven hundred and what? Fourteen? Thirteen. One seven one three, yeah. Okay. Okay, so when did we come back? Twelve minutes. Uh, in twelve minutes. Fifty-six. Okay. At, at, yeah. At, yeah. I gotta see what I can do to regain my uh why I don't have administrative function here. <laughs> okay. I'll see if I can fix that out. Talk to you in a few minutes.
Reverend Kelly. Yes, you're supposed to be in class right now. It's break time. Uh, okay. okay, I don't have administrative functions. I'm in the class, but I'm just like a participant. Do you log in as Reverend Tony or do you log in through the Miracles? Uh, I, when, I'm, when I appear, it says I'm Community Miracle Center. Now, there is a little thing here that says claim host. And when I click it, it wants me to enter a six-digit host key. Oh. Well, I tried that, and it won't accept my login. Have we changed the password? Yes, we changed the password, remember? No, what did we change it to? Capital CMC. Hold on. I don't remember us changing the password. Why did we change? Because we were having to share the password with non-administrative people. And so the Zoom password we made uh, different because we didn't want people to have passwords that we use on other things. Okay, so what's the password? Capital C. Yeah. Capital M. Yeah. Capital C. Yeah. Capital Z. Yeah. Lowercase O O M. Okay, so CMC Zoom with CMC and Z capitals. Okay, let's see if uh, that works. Yeah, it probably will because I kept trying the other ones. Yeah. yeah. Oh, you are the host now. <laughs> yeah, that's it. I just got logged out. Apparently, I was logged in somewhere. So. <laughs> oh. <laughs> okay. So yeah, now I can mute people again. Oh, I can. Yeah, when we were going to give Julie the password, we said we thought it was better to get to switch that to a different password than. You know, what, what we use for all of our other accounts. Okay, and then apparently I didn't write that. I probably wrote it on the, the blue sheet, but I didn't write it in my in my phone. Okay, very good. How are you? I'm okay. How are you doing? I'm good. We got I got here just in time. Big traffic jam on the Bay Bridge. Oh, no. Um, but I got here just in time, and... Uh, and so we're on break. And, and I see Deb has just come back from break. Okay, thank hey, you. Hi, Deb. <laughs> hey, Kelly. <laughs> She's on my phone. Okay, okay. okay well, so um, I'll talk to you later. I'll, I'll see you tomorrow. No, I won't see you tomorrow. No, you won't see me tomorrow. I won't see you tomorrow. I left you a little note with a couple of things, and then you can call me if you have questions or anything. Okay. Okay, you okay. take care. Bye. Okay, you too. Bye. Bye. I figured out why, well, with Reverend Kelly's help, I figured out why I didn't have administrative functions, but I do now. Okay. So I can now mute you <laughs> and anybody else. Anyone else. Okay, good. <laughs> um, we, had a, we, we had to change our password because we now have other people yeah, uh, doing Zoom classes right. using our account. And so... Yeah, so, anyway. so, how do, so you, I read somewhere, is Zoom a free account or you pay to be a Zoom host? We have a what's called a professional account, which isn't that much. It's like $15 a month to get, to get the entry level professional. You can have a free Zoom account, but, and uh, then you could only have a meeting that would last 30 minutes. Oh, yeah. Okay. Sure. <laughs> so, 
Well, it's a great technology. It, like it is. It. Yeah, I like it. I think, it, I mean, it's great that we can see each other here. Actually, since we're, I want to change this lamp here. I'm always concerned. I, I do like it. My lighting is better. <laughs> <laughs> so vain. No, I just want us to be able to see each other. I just think it's better communication if we can actually see each other. I've got to do something in the office, so I, I, I need a, a little portable lamp, just like the one I got here at home. You need one just in front of you, or, yeah, in front of you. Yeah, you need something in front of you. Right. Have you ever been to Lake Tahoe? Yes, I have. I used to live in L.A. Oh. So. I hadn't been there in, like, 25 years. Yeah, it's been a very long time. Um, there's some, there, there's another lake outside of L.A. Do you know what that is? Is it's not Bear Lake, is it? Something. There's bear. There's bear. Um, there's bear something outside of L.A. Bear Valley. No, I'm thinking of a lake. Bear. Maybe it is Bear Lake. Bear Lake. Bear Lake, yeah. Well, the only reason I think of it is because, you know, in Michigan, we're, we have so many lakes. Our great lakes are as big as the ocean, they, I mean, in terms of what it looks like to you. And then we have lakes. Well, that's good. <laughs> yeah, I just get it in the right place here. So now, now I have a light on both sides. I, I have two lights, one so that I'm – here's the light on, the, on my left. You are now – you know what that means. You're now illumined. <laughs> I, I am illumined. Hey, that's Reverend Charles. He's back. I think you were talking Hi, about uh, Big Bear Lake. Big Bear Lake. There you, there you go. Yep. Okay, I'm, I'm going to go get a, a quick glass of water because I spent the whole break trying to figure out why I didn't have administrative functions, which I do now have. Okay. That's okay because we're still uh, two minutes from our time. We're good. Good. Oh, so Tony's at his house, and he's not at the CMC. I believe so, yeah. Yeah. I'm not quite sure what all those things are on the wall behind him, whether they're hats or what they are. These are hats. i got to ask him about that. With I'm a, not quite a hat person. Yeah, with a mirror to check his hats. I'll have to ask. I can see we're recording. Yeah. One of the things that uh, my wife and I did for our anniversary is we got each other uh, one of those uh, those uh, smart watches. Yeah. Um, it was interesting trying to set the dumb things up. <laughs> hey, Tony, uh, are those all your hats in the back? Yeah. Yeah, that's great. Except the one that, here that I had on here. <laughs> oh, okay then. Yeah, that looks better. <laughs> it, much better now. Sure. Yeah, those are my hats. That's where that's where they live. I know. That's, that's pretty every, cool. Every, every morning I grab the appropriate one. Okay, Charles, you were saying something. You and you got smartwatch. Yeah, both Pat and I got the smartwatches. Um, uh, it took us a while to set them up. They're kind of interesting once they are set up, but uh, we, we bought them from Costco. Uh, 
slightly different model. She wanted a different model from the one I wanted. So um, we got uh, we got those as our uh, wedding anniversary uh, present. Then we went out to very, very nice breakfast. Um, we had a good time there. So I want to know what you've done with this smartwatch. Well, it can it can take the number of steps in a day. It, it shows when you get messages, but unfortunately, it doesn't retain them. It just they flash across the screen really quickly, uh, and it does your your pulse um, and and things of that sort. It, um, I, you know, I don't know. I, I I'm sure there will be more fun. Well, supposedly you can track your food as well because you can do it in conjunction with your smartphone. So you have to actually set up both mm -hmm. to make the watch uh, work. Mm -hmm. so, um, yeah. Yeah. I, 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 on a I mean, I use an iPhone and on occasion I've thought about getting an iWatch, mm -hmm. but um, I've asked a few people who had them. Yeah. What was the main advantage of them? And they, they always say the same thing. The main advantage is your phone rings. <laughs> or you know your and you can look just quickly to, to see who it is. <laughs> yeah. Oh man. And, and it and it's just it's like easier than finding your phone. Or maybe you're you're talking to somebody and you're aware that your phone because you've got it on vibrate or something, you're aware that it's ringing and you don't know whether you should pick it up. Maybe it, that would be rude, but you could just glance at your wrist really quickly to see if it's an important enough call to to interrupt whatever it is you're doing and thus pick up. Right. I do not have that feature on, on mine. Mine is an Android based and I'm not even sure their top of the line watch uh, has that. I'm not sure. Anyway, um, that the, the, the both people that had iWatches who had iPhones told me that that was, that was the big advantage, being able to glance easily to see who was calling you. I could see that. That'd be, that, that would be good, yeah. Hello, Ducell, Thea. Oh, Tony, find a solo. <laughs> Can you uh, fix that so that there's not this bright light shining in the mirror in back of you, and thus I can't, we can't see you as well as. Well, I don't. Oh, how did I have it before? Is that better? I don't know. Maybe you were sitting in a different place. No, there you go. Or just like that. Just like that is fine. Okay. That's good. Okay, so we're going to read the cameo. Oh, okay. The shield report. So, um, I forget who read last. I think I read last, didn't I? Yeah, I think I'm next, yes. Yeah, go ahead. So, Charles. Cameo 5, the shield report. Um, directly following Miracle Principle 24, and miracles are part of an interlocking chain of forgiveness, which when completed is atonement. Jesus gave a lengthy example of that principle. Such real life examples of miracles, and there are many in the early dictation, are essential in understanding what a miracle really is. And this one is particularly telling. A woman named Esther, and probably the same Esther that is Amy's mother, see Cameo 3, had written a report for the Shield Institute for Retarded Children. This report was apparently needed to secure 
a grant from the National Institutes of Health, but the report was poorly done. Helen therefore went above and beyond her professional responsibility and wrote the report in Esther's name. Helen's acts may strike us as any number of things other than helpful, including meddling, resulting in Esther, lacking in trust, or overly concerned with what happened in the world. Therefore, learning what Jesus thought about this is extremely clarifying. Miracles are part of an interlocking chain of forgiveness, which, when completed, is the atonement. This process works all the time and in all dimensions of time. A very good example of how this is accomplished is the time you rewrote the entire report for Esther for the SOD, or SHIELD Institute. Esther had hurt something you love, that is the SHIELD, by writing a report you regarded as very bad. You atoned for her by writing the urtext in her name, one that was very good. Actually, it was not your responsibility professionally to do this, but because you do love the Institute or the SOD, you recognize in this case that you are your brother's keeper. While you did not cancel Esther's sin, you did cancel out its effects. Number two, all quotations without page numbers in this cameo are from Helen's notes. Throughout these cameo essays, we are correct. We have corrected spelling errors in the notes for ease of reading. Okay, great. Thanks, Charles. Um, uh, Deb, you could read the, the rest of the page here. I'm in here. Where are we? Uh, page 1714. Yeah, but I'm looking for when he said the he, last He just finished out a fact, just the, he, they finished out the, oh, the top. Oh, I, I was looking for the word reading. Okay. By saying that Helen's rewriting of the report is a very good example of how miracle principle 24 is accomplished, Jesus is implying that it was a miracle. He will go on directly to directly call it that no less than three times in this guidance. But how is it a miracle? Our first clue is given here. Through her carelessness, Esther had unwittingly let fly an arrow. Helen, realizing that she is her brother's keeper, had made sure that by the time that arrow reached its target, it had turned into a flower. This is how atonement works. It wipes away the effects of loveless deeds so that as if they were never done. Monday, I want to tell Esther that not only is she forgiven, but that the effects of all her sins are canceled. This is what I have already told you. I told you I forgave you, and that meant all hurt and hate you have ever expressed is canceled. When I can tell her, she will be afraid for a long time because she will remember many things, consciously or unconsciously, including the S.H.I.E.L.D. report a scene which is considered in advance by a miracle of devotion. I would think it would be joyous news to be told that you are not only forgiven, but that all the effects of your sins have been canceled. So why would Esther respond to this by being, quote, afraid for a long time? The reason suggested here is that before you can feel relief that all your sins have been forgiven, you first have to accept that you have sins to be forgiven. Esther had clearly denied hers, hiding them away in the vaults of her memory. But Jesus' message about all her sin would open those vaults, causing her to remember many things consciously or unconsciously. 
she would have to face what she had done before she could be set free by learning it had all been undone. And then Helen's miracle of devotion with the shield report would shine in her mind as a concrete example of this liberating truth. Okay, great. Thank you. Uh, do Althea, would you read uh, the next page here? Okay. It turns out that what Helen... Uh, read a little closer. Can you read a little closer to your computer or your microphone? Yeah, hold on. Okay. It turns out that what Helen did with Esther's sin, which will soon be redefined as merely an absence of love, is precisely what Jesus does with ours. He is there to make sure that when we stumble, the everlasting arms will always be there to catch us. I am in charge of the process of atonement, which I undertook to begin. My atonement, brackets, which as, which, as will be clarified later, refers to the re resurrection and the crucifixion, close. Not the crucifixion. No, not the crucifixion. Was for the canceling out of all sins which human beings could not otherwise correct. That is what the biblical statement, quote, underneath are the everlasting arms means jesus however ideally wants to carry out the atonement through human channels as helen explains at this point in the urtex this uh bracket underneath are the everlasting arms means that he will backstop whenever human miracles will not suffice for atonement purposes. However, it is perfect, perfectly clear that when a person can atone by miracles, both giver and receiver are atoning. It is better to atone this way because of the mutual beneficial benefits involved. Jesus now explains on this idea. I would have undone Esther's sin to everyone who was affected by it myself, of course, but this would not have helped you. The reason it was a miracle was because it, 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 it not only atoned for Esther, but also for you because it kept the children from harm. I could have secured the new grant for the shield anyway, being, being a board member of an NIH, but this way I could cancel out some of your sins as well as Esther's and sit on your board too. Jesus explains that he could have done it all himself. He could have made sure that the shield got the grant from the NIH anyway, in spite of Esther's report. After all, he sits on the board of the NIH, but this way is better because his way, Helen could undo her own past lovelessness. We see in Cameo 3 that she had hated and hurt the children, apparently in past lives. With Amy being given an example of one of these children, with the SHIELD report, However, she acted to protect the children 
the children served by the shield. And it looks like she succeeded. And Jesus says, I could have secured the new grant for the shield anyway. He implies that in the actual scenario, Helen did that. Helen then had kept the children from harm, thus undoing her own past misdeeds. Her miracle of devotion had atoned for her too. Okay, thank you. <clears throat> okay, I'll read a bit. Uh, the reason why you found rewriting that so taxing was because you resented Esther's sin and thought she put you in a very unfair position. But no one can really do this to anybody. If you had known that you were really performing a miracle for the shield, for Esther, for yourself, and for me, you would have done it with real joy. In as much as you do it for the least of my children, really ends with you do it unto yourself and me. Tell Bill the reason why you come before me as you did with Wally <clears throat> is because I do not need miracles for my own atonement, but I stand at the end in case you fail temporarily. We probably assume that if, the, if this really was a miracle, then Helen must have been in an elated and even transported state of mind while doing it. Here, however, we found out that in fact, she felt resentful and drained, feeling that Esther had put her in a very unfair position. If Helen had only realized that no one can really do this to anybody, she could have been free of this ill feeling. And if she had realized all who would be blessed by what she was doing, the shield, Esther, Helen herself, and even Jesus, she would have done it with joy. I am always here to protect against assumption failure. That's a special pun for Bill. He is still under the impression that he needs special signs of love. Note also that the special language here is a combination of both yours and his. The two come together in my name. Assumption failure is most likely a takeoff on expectation failure, a psychological term for when our current mental model of reality leads to faulty expectations. Given that it follows the statement, I stand at the end in case you fail temporarily. Assumption failure is probably a case where our judgmental assumptions about others prevent us from offering them miracles, causing us to fail temporarily on the journey to God. Jesus says that his role is to make up for this to cancel out the errors which human beings could not otherwise correct. Okay, uh, Charles, you could read the next uh, page and then just complete the paragraph at the top of the page. This pun is yet another sign of love for Bill, who was a gifted punster. As Jesus makes clear in a number of comments, he sees Bill as feel, feeling chronically unworthy and on the outside. He therefore constantly takes care to give Bill special signs of love, as he does here with the pun, and to make sure he knows he is included, as he does here by using Bill's language and not just Helen's. Question, are there any corrections you want me to make in this? 
Answer, yes, change the word sin to an absence of love. Sin is a man-made word with threat connotations he made up himself. No real threat is involved anywhere. Just because nature abhors a vacuum, which is true enough, it does not follow that a vacuum is filled with hellfire. Nothing is gained by frightening yourself, and is very destructive. Miracles need freedom from fear. Part of their atonement value involves that. The word atone really means undo. Jesus has been using the word sin without correcting its usual connotation. Now he introduces what will be a major theme in the Course, that what we call sin is not at all what it seems. Rather than being a positive presence of ego, is actually just an absence of love, just a vacuum. The response to it should therefore be love, for a vacuum of love really calls for being filled with love. To fill it with hellfire makes no sense. And the note for further comments on this passage, see Appendix 2. Jesus began by calling the shield report a very good example of Miracle Principle 24. Now we are in a position to fully understand what he meant, and thus more fully understand the principle itself. The principle reads, Miracles are part of an interlocking change of forgiveness, and there was just such a change involved in this event. Okay, great. And then, um, Deb, you could uh, finish it up. Hold on a second. I need to un unmute you. Okay, go ahead. Jesus implies that Helen rewriting the report did, in fact, secure the funding for the shield and, in the process, protected the children it serves. That was the first link in the chain. This canceled out the effects of Esther's act of not writing the report with sufficient care, thus undoing the pain this would have caused her. That was the second link. This also undid Helen's own past mis misdeeds in which she had hated and hurt the children. That was the third link. And finally, it blesses, blessed Jesus himself as he feels deeply identified with all the parties involved. That was the fourth link. Here, then, is exactly what the miracle principle was talking about, an interlocking chain of forgiveness, which the miracle rolled through person after person, setting free everyone it touched. This not only clarifies miracle principle 24, it also clarifies miracles themselves. We often assume that a miracle in the course's sense is found entirely in the mental state of an individual person. We believe that elevated state is what blesses this person and any effect on others is strictly secondary or even irrelevant. This kind of example of a miracle, however, shows us a very different picture. In this example, the crucial thing is the effect the miracle has on the people in that interlocking chain. What matters is that they are blessed. Helen's state of mind as she did the blessing was actually surprisingly negative, but it still contained the essential ingredient, the realization that she is her brother's keeper. And it was by acting as her brother's keeper that she herself became blessed. By keeping the children from harm, she wiped away her own dark past in which she had harmed them. By canceling out Esther's sin, she canceled out her own past sins. Therefore, even though she rewrote the S.H.I.E.L.D. report with resentment, it was still a miracle. And if she had just appreciated that fact, the resentment would have evaporated. Indeed, according to Jesus, if she had only been aware of the interlocking chain that would go forth from her act, 
if she had only known that, as he put it, she was really performing a miracle for the shield, for Esther, for yourself, and for me, she would have done it with real joy. Okay. Okay, I just unmuted everybody, so let's, uh, any thoughts about this? Yeah, I thought it kind of dovetailed into the talk you gave a couple of weeks ago, which was about uh, people looking for revelation from the Course, but it's really about the little everyday niceties that we can do. Yeah, I forgot the name. Uh, yes. Yeah, I forgot the name of that talk. Um, <laughs> there's so many. Yeah. Um, yeah, that, that people, I think, are, are confused, um, and, and they're looking for this big experience, but it's really just pretty everyday stuff, everyday loving stuff, uh, all the little things that we do. And, um, and not all, all that miracle-mindedly either, because... Well, yeah, that's the, that's the real interesting thing about this, yeah. that, sh that she was resistant and not happy about it, but it was still a miracle. I think that's because we don't direct the miracle, that he takes whatever the impulse, the good impulse, and then is able to direct it where it would be. But when we try to direct it, it doesn't work. Yeah. I don't know what that means about prayer. You know how there are prayer chains and prayer focus, which they show, or has been shown to work, except that he's pretty much saying, we won't try to direct miracles. Um, as, a, as a prayer chaplain uh, for Unity, uh, they talk about affirmative prayer. They talk about praying in a, in a sense of um, already seeing that what you're praying for has already been accomplished um, so you don't you don't pray for a new catalog you, you pray for you know transportation uh, so that you can do God's work or something like that regardless of what that transportation is you know you don't pray for rain you pray rain, you pray the droplets on your head and the splattering of, of, in, in the dirt turning to mud and your clothing getting damp and you can visualize all, all of that. <laughs> um. I think in some ways he's saying that, uh, that I'm not sure, this is what I'm throwing out as a question. Okay. It's, it seems to me that what he's saying is that a miracle and that prayer is really the unity of beings and of seeing ourselves as being unified with others. And that why this was a miracle is because Helen felt put herself in Esther's place and did it for her, thereby sort of connecting with her. Even if she resented doing it, she still connected with the need to do it, and she was as if she were stepping into Helen's body, and that was itself the miracle. And that when we try to specifically 
do a thing by directing what we would call a miracle in the physical world. A miracle of healing, a miracle of car, a miracle of money, miracle whatever the miracle might be, and we do it for someone else. That that's what he's telling us not. He's telling us not to do that. What he's telling us is to do this sort of mind meld with other people and become as one. Yeah. Well, the reason why you don't uh, do it is because by saying you need a miracle, the strong implication is that one doesn't already exist, that miracles are not part of the normal behavior of our existence, which it clearly says, of course, in, in numerous places that miracles are the norm. They're not the unexpected kind of a thing. Uh, the, the title of that talk you're referring to is just called The A Course in Miracles Experience. Yeah. The ACIM Experience. I just looked it up. <laughs> That's good. I Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that you're listening to those, Deb. It's sweet. Uh, I gave that talk on May 7th. <clears throat> yeah, I just think, you know what, it's just all the, the, all the little things, all the little acts of love that we do, all the, all the, or as Deb was saying here, all the times we could really just put ourselves in another person's point of view or in their frame of mind and join with them and real, just like a, a connection to the common goal. And, and the goal is um, in some way just the help of, of others and, and so, that, so that people can in some way, shape or form live a happier life, have a, have just a happier life experience. I mean, all of this is related to, what did he say the shield was? Uh, it was for children who were, um, said what it was. was retard they said retarded, but. Okay, so children who are, to, to help children who are developmentally disabled. Yeah, well, it says it's retarded is the way, but you know, that's old time language. But, yeah, it's yeah. old time language. The shield is the shield institute for retarded children. <laughs> Back in the day is what they yeah, well in in the in the late sixties that's probably what they would have called it. Right. I'm sure they've changed that uh, <laughs> right. that way of describing things now. I mean this is still really prevalent and it comes up um in a course of miracles circles a lot. Um, just exactly what a miracle is and whether it's all just this mental shift or um, does it have an observable effect and and, um, and and aren't you too focused on the world if you take more of this approach and people think it shouldn't be so worldly a focus but obviously Jesus here is is pretty worldly focused it's, it's going to help the children. It's going to help Helen. It's going to help Esther. Esther, was that her name? It's yeah. going to help, and it's going to help Jesus. All of these people are, are, are going to have a benefit, and it's all because um, children are going to be helped. Well, I think what he was saying is that those, those are effects that... Right. Or sort of fallout, but but that I don't think that the miracle itself was worldly focused. I think effects are realized in the worldly realm, but the miracle itself is not focused on 
doing those things. The miracle is, is simply any time you join with others, any time you see that. Because he gives another example of, of a miracle. I can't remember where it is with the woman in the hospital. But so any any time we see ourselves as connected with someone else, um, you know, if you in in today's in today's situation, if you watch a news channel you don't regularly watch, and you're able to extend some sort of grace to the people saying whatever, I mean that in itself, that thought, that recognition of unity with with another person probably produces it probably goes in the record just that thought probably goes in the record and probably produces effects of which we don't know right directed elsewhere but i don't think the point of it is the effects okay i don't know that's my thought i would i would probably just wrap them all together a little bit more i i wouldn't um Uh, I, I wouldn't separate out the effect. I mean, I just, I just think it's all related. It's just related a little bit more. I mean, I mean Helen's um, motivation for doing it was because she wanted the, she wanted the funding. You know, she, she didn't want the funding to get, to get ruined. So she wanted the children to be helped. Yeah, but she did it in Esther's name. She did it in that. I wonder how Esther felt. <laughs> I wonder how Esther felt about all of that. I mean, she fixed it in Esther's name, so she let she did it by allowing Esther to have submitted a good product. Yeah, right. That's true. That's true. I like the little uh, joke here that Jesus makes that he sits on the, that he was on the board uh, <laughs> of all of these organizations the the NIH the National Institute of Health and the shield so yeah, he could have could have made sure they got the funding regardless <laughs> anything else in our in our remaining four minutes here, we don't well, have this really. Is, uh, this is Charles. I wanted to share with the group something, not totally related to Course in Miracles. Uh, Pat and I have started watching um, a a series. I think it's about a six part series. We got the video for, called the Young Pope, and it is Tony. I, I think you would find it fascinating because there's a lot of. Um, it, it, very strong Catholic ties, but a lot of dream stuff, a lot of really bizarre behavior on the part of this young Pope that you never quite know if he's actually doing it or whether he's dreaming it. And it's really quite, uh, part of it is, is, is a little bit upsetting. Like, like the very first thing he's on, he's been elected Pope and he's on the balcony with his first uh, enclave or whatever they call it, all these hundreds of thousands of people out in out in the square and he has his arms out and his head back and uh, you know he's he, he's saying you know God really wants you he really wants you he wants you to masturbate more <laughs> just, and then it, and, and it's but it's not all sexual I don't mean to but it, it, and then you find that that's a dream that he's having it, it's just 
in such a head twister of a, of a series, I thought you, you might appreciate it. <laughs> is this a, uh, it was a movie, it's a series, it's a TV series, it's a what? It, it's on DVD, it's three DVDs, so it's six, um, Sounds like six, uh, I don't know, hour and a half, two hour uh, sessions. So it, it takes a while to view. We watched the first, uh, what, three of them last night. We still have three more to go. Pat has watched it on uh, on um, Amazon. Uh, okay. It's called The Young Pope? The Young Pope. Young Pope. Uh, okay. I'll, I'll, I'll stay aware, aware of it. <laughs> I don't know. Not a lot of time, but yeah. I'm always looking for looking for some things that are interesting. Oh, it definitely is. Well, it was another uh, interesting class, interesting time. I, I really enjoyed this uh, opportunity together. I like the Zoom. It feels like we're all together, which is very interesting. Well, especially, you know, for me, because I've been doing phone classes for years. Yeah. This is a different experience. <laughs> this, this, yeah. I mean, you're really, I mean, I see everybody. I, just, I look, and there we all are. There we all are. There we all are. And uh, the technology isn't perfect, but it's not bad. You do get these little video or audio artifacts from time to time, sometimes a little hard to, but, but the phone was that way, too. The phone classes had little things that didn't work really well with them at times as well. So, but considering that it's video and audio together, it's pretty flawless. It's pretty good. <laughs> it's pretty good. Yeah. Pretty good. yeah. I like it that you see the person when they're reading. Yeah. Yeah. You don't feel like it's totally, you just have to listen. You can, you know, makes you pay more attention, I think. This, Althea, uh, we really need, if you can in the future, think about using your outdoor voice instead of your indoor voice. <laughs> okay. The voice is so, it's so faint. Oh, my goodness. I don't know why. Uh, either maybe get the, get the computer closer to you or just speak up more. I, I don't know how to get it any closer unless I'm doing this. <laughs> well, you can speak up more, though. You could speak. A louder, a louder, full, a louder, fuller voice. Notice Tony has a louder voice than you do. Yeah, I know. I don't have that heavy throat stuff. Yeah. But that, that's better, what you just did. That's okay. My wife is, is the same thing with my wife. She has a very soft voice. I keep telling her to use her outdoor voice. <laughs> okay. You, well, I, I will pay attention. That's, that, that's better right there. Yeah. Yeah, but I'm like standing... At right on the computer. Well, know. I don't think you have to do that, but just a, a fuller voice. Okay, I will be fuller. Okay, yeah. very good. Really good. Full of brush. <laughs> okay, good. So let's uh, bring our attention and our awareness with it. Okay, Holy Spirit, we uh, are so grateful <clears throat> for this time together. Again, thank you for getting Althea and I here back in time, getting us through that traffic jam on the Bay Bridge. And we're grateful for this group, this gathering, these words, this teaching, this new edition, these cameos, these thoughts, all of our input. And we're joining together. And that joining together in love for the benefit of 
all of us and for all brothers and sisters everywhere is a miracle as we are learning. So we're studying miracles, but we're practicing them and demonstrating them by our joining together. Amen. 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 Have a good week, everybody. Okay. Bye. Bye. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.